Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. History of Persia is a Hopful Media podcast production. Hello, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is an audiobook subscription service with hundreds of thousands of books on offer. If you sign up now, you get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash historyofpersia. This week, I want to recommend you try out The Histories by Herodotus. The Histories have been and will continue to be one of the key sources for our narrative here, but they're also one of those old and ancient things that are just too dense to read for fun most of the time. But if someone reads it to you, it can be really exciting. Personally, I recommend the version narrated by David Timson. So, go to audibletrial.com slash historyofpersia, or follow the links in the episode description and the website support page, and start your free trial today.
Welcome to the History of Persia. I'm Trevor Cully, and this is episode 20, The Forgotten King. Last episode, I covered the events and controversies of the year 522 BCE, when the younger brother of King Cambyses, called Bardia, took power in Persia for a short but dramatic seven months, from March to September. Or maybe it was the Magi imposter Gomada, the world may never know. Regardless of which name you want to call him, the 2,541st anniversary of that king's death and Darius's ascension as King Darius I was just this past weekend on September 29th, according to the Behistun inscription. I can assure you, I didn't plan this at all. This time, I'm sticking with 522 to see what exactly the reign of King Bardia entailed. How and why did he seize power from his brother? What did he do once he had that power? Why did Darius and his six companions want him dead? Stuff like that. Like last week, one of the first things I need to deal with is what to call the king today. There's just so many names to choose from. Bardia, Gomada, Comates, Oropastes, Taniaxeres, Svendadates, Merphis, Mardos? It's stuff like this that makes me really wish I had gone with Herodotus in the first place, or he just calls them both Smerdis. If this were a paper or something, I could just write Bardia slash Gomada, but that sounds like it would be a bit of a hassle for a podcast. Today, I think it's best to go with Bardia. Whether or not this was really the son of Cyrus the Great, when he seized the throne, this man was known as Bardia. He called himself by that name, Babylonian documents from his tenure are dated by that name. Whatever the truth really was, for my purposes today, he can be Bardia. Just a quick recap. In late March, the Behistun inscription tells us that Bardia rebelled against his brother Cambyses, who was still in Egypt. By July 1st, Cambyses had not made it any further than Syria, where he died of an infection, thus making his rebellious brother the rightful king. The next three months of Bardia's reign were relatively peaceful, but in late September, a cohort of seven Persian nobles, including Darius the Achaemenid, plotted and assassinated the sitting king, and raised Darius to the throne. So what do we know about those seven months? What did Cambyses do that let Bardia overthrow him? What did Bardia do that gave Darius the opportunity to do it in turn? Why did people support any of them? Given the time period and the precedent set by his father and brother, it would be entirely reasonable for us to have no clue at all. We know nothing about Cyrus before he rebelled against Media, and have only the barest outline of the first five years of Cambyses' reign, an outline mostly based on educated guesses. But Bardia is different. We don't have much to start with, but we have just enough that we can take the small bits of information provided to us and work backward from there. Take some Assyrian precedents and post-Darius written documents, and we can really start to reconstruct some of the policies instituted in the seven months of Bardia. As usual, the best place to start the story is before the story I mean to be talking about. To understand the changes made by Bardia, I think we need to know what was put in place by Cambyses and Cyrus before him. Despite the massive upheaval of Cyrus's conquests, 
Persia's rapid expansion did not fundamentally change the lifestyle for most Persian or Median nobles right away, and certainly did not harm them. Persian expansion provided an avenue for the Persian nobility to gain wealth and power all over the Near East. Cyrus's campaigns absorbed so much territory and wealth that his campaigns probably funded themselves. Additionally, he wasn't likely to face much complaining when he imposed heavy tribute payments on newly conquered territory. After the fall of Babylon, Cyrus also did not have to raise funds for any more massive campaigns against well-organized and wealthy kingdoms. Cambyses was not so lucky. Further expansion into isolated and desolate frontiers was hardly practical. Egypt remained a powerful, independent actor in the region, and there was growing pressure to develop naval power. Cambyses' campaigns into the Levant, Mediterranean, and Africa demanded a lot of resources and manpower, and to gather that, Cambyses demanded significantly higher tribute from his subordinates. We don't know exactly when Cambyses launched his campaigns, Obviously, it was long enough before 525 BCE to wrap things up in Ionia and Phoenicia and continue up to 522. That might have been seven or eight years of heavy military levies and taxes. Often, the burden of taxes in a feudal or feudal-like system can be passed off to lower classes, but a massive war effort like Cambyses eventually has to place heavy burden on everybody. And that's exactly what seems to have happened during the Egyptian campaign. That would explain a line in the Behistun inscription where Darius declares, When Cambyses had gone to Egypt, then the people became disloyal, and the lie grew among the people, both in Persia and Media, and amongst the other peoples. The obligations and pressures of the Egyptian campaigns were burdensome, and the peoples of the empire started to descend to Cambyses' rule. What exactly is meant by the people in that previous sentence isn't totally clear. In Old Persian, the word is kara, which can mean the army or the people. But maybe those people were understood as just the nobility. We don't really know enough of the context for Old Persian to know for sure. Some scholars have suggested that Cambyses butting heads with the nobility over the burden of tribute and military levies may have represented an attempt to disrupt the power of the traditional nobility, and these conflicts may have contributed to stories in Herodotus about Cambyses murdering nobles that I discussed back in episode 17, The Mad King. Those stories were exaggerated as the result of the nobility's conflicts with Cambyses. Over the course of the three years during the Egyptian campaigns, the Persian Empire grew more and more restless. There may have been limited rebellions. In Persia, Bardia saw that everything was starting to come apart at the seams and made the executive decision to take control. In March of 522, he declared that he was in charge, presumably cutting off his brother's funds and supplies as an act of rebellion. He made that declaration at a town called Paishi Yauvada, which historians generally place in the vicinity of Pasargadai. So it would seem that he claimed power while in the royal capital, giving him at least some kind of legitimacy. It did not take long for most of the empire to come over to his side. The Behistun inscription says, Then all the people became rebellious against Cambyses, 
they went over to him, both Persia and Media, as well as the other peoples. By April of 522, the first Babylonian documents were starting to appear dated to the first year of King Bardia. Following Theseus's story, in which Bardia was the overlord of most of the Eastern Empire, he could now add Persia, Media, and Mesopotamia at least to the places loyal to him. We don't know exactly how he was received in Anatolia, Syria, and the Levant. Seeing as Cambyses was moving through Syria not long after this, it may be that Bardia's reign did not initially have as much currency in the western provinces. The actions of Oroites in Anatolia, which I discussed in episode 18, might indicate that the satrap was at least nominally sided with Bardia, but was actually trying to strike out on his own. Oroites' conflict with his fellow satrap Mitrobates of Hellespontine Phrygia may indicate that the Anatolian satraps were divided, or maybe it was just that Oroites was power-hungry and looking for an excuse. We'll never know, but it certainly seems like those events are probably related to the other conflicts going down in 522. Bardia had to do something to win over all of these satraps and people to his side so quickly. Herodotus shares the fun fact that probably helps explain that. It's barely mentioned in the histories, with almost no explanation at all, but here's what it says. During this period, he, meaning Bardia, did great kindness to his subjects, so that when he died, he was greatly missed by the whole of Asia, save for the Persians. For the Magus sent to all the people he ruled over, announcing their freedom from military service and tribute for three years. Whoa, that's a big deal. No tribute or military levies for three full years. It's completely without precedent in or around Persian history, and absolutely not a strategy repeated by his successors. Later Persian kings would forgive debts or waive certain tribute immediately after ascending the throne, but a wholesale cancellation was out of the question, and the idea of not demanding military loyalty sounded suicidal. As always, there's the distinct possibility that Herodotus just gets it dead wrong, but given the conditions surrounding Bardia's rise to power, it's worth considering. Even if it wasn't a complete remission of all obligations, or even if it was just one or two years rather than three, ending the burdens placed on the provinces by Cambyses' war effort would have immediately engendered Bardia with his new son. I routinely wish that I knew more languages. Even right in the middle of the US, I run into Spanish speakers all the time, and my social media always has a little Persian, Arabic, some Dutch and German. Rosetta Stone does help. It's the most trusted language learning program after all. It's also conveniently available on desktop or on the go as an app and has some really cool features that truly immerse you in the language you're learning. Just the first steps, like learning a new alphabet and some simple phrases, helped open new doors, and Rosetta Stone is a great choice as the trusted expert in this for 30 years and millions of users with 25 languages available to learn. They focus on fast language acquisition, without English translations to help you learn, speak, listen, and think in your new language while building long-term retention. Their true accent speech recognition also gives feedback on pronunciation, which can be really important for languages like Persian, where how you say something is very important. 
And on top of being available for desktop and mobile, you have the option to download lessons and take them offline. This is also all available at a steal. You can get lifetime membership, all 25 languages, for 50% off. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, History of Persia listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Objects. I think if you're going to doubt anything, you should doubt the duration. I've discussed a few times how paying tribute was the key that made every province part of the empire. If someone stopped paying without permission, that was rebellion. Three years without tribute would have invited a lot of potential rebellion, especially if they also weren't obligated to send soldiers to serve with the Persian army. Personally, I think it may have been more like a three-year guarantee of returning things to normal, peacetime status just like they were at the end of the reign of Cyrus, or maybe one year of total forgiveness. Just enough to let the satraps and their subjects recuperate from Cambyses' policies. The Behistun inscription provides the odd detail that confuses scholars about the sequence of events here. It says that Bardia rebelled in March, but also that he seized the kingship in July. What's going on with that? Fortunately for us, the Behistun inscription also mentions that Cambyses died in the same time frame as Bardia seizing the kingship. Many scholars interpret this to mean that Bardia did not actually declare himself king, despite Babylonian acknowledgement. He merely acted as the man in charge until his brother succumbed to an infection. Only then was he officially coronated as the new king of kings. If that's really what happened, then Bardia was a master of plausible deniability. All he did while his brother was alive was try to manage the situation and avert all-out revolt. He never meant to be king. It was only after Cambyses' tragic demise that he stepped up and did his duty as the sole heir to their dynasty. If nothing else, the story would play well with a sympathetic audience if it ever came to that. That scenario is somewhat marred by the fact that Cambyses did not have anything that was clearly a monumental tomb. Several incomplete structures have been suggested as possible candidates for Cambyses' final resting place, but all of them are unfinished. Bardia and the Persian nobility did not have enough love lost with Cambyses' death to ensure that he received a similarly noble tomb to their fathers in Pasargadae. Instead, Cambyses and his remains slowly faded into history. After saying that Cambyses died, the Behistun inscription tells us how horrible Bardia's policies were. Remember that this is the official account of Darius, who would eventually kill Bardia. The king's policies at Behistun are far from the three years of tribute forgiveness in Herodotus. Darius says that the people feared Bardia, that he destroyed cult centers and stole the pastures, herds, households, and slaves of the people, which Darius generously restored. Well, Herodotus, Darius, this is kind of awkward for you guys. That doesn't sound like the same person. So what's happening here? 
we have to remember that Darius is presenting the story from the anti-Bardia perspective. And it's hard to build a negative perspective on someone who remitted taxes, didn't demand military service, and oversaw seven months of peace. And that last one is true. Of the evidence we have for Bardia's reign, there's absolutely nothing that indicates any kind of rebellion, invasion, or conflict aside from Darius's coup at the end. Bardia oversaw a short period of remarkable stability. The only way it seems likely that someone would think poorly of Bardia is if they felt personally wronged by him. And that's a view that scholars try to take when reading Darius's condemnation of his predecessor. It's presented in the context of Darius restoring those things to the way they were before Bardia's reign, but why did they change? The people, in this case, are pretty clearly the nobility, as the rest of the populace wouldn't have their own cult centers, estates, slaves, etc. However, as I discussed earlier, it seems like Bardia came to power on the premise of relieving the burdens placed on the nobility and common people alike, and ending the seizure of resources. He certainly needed to have the nobility on his side to gain the support of the whole empire so quickly. What historians think is described at Behistun is what Bardia did to his enemies. Those that opposed him, either because he overthrew his brother or for some other reason, were duly punished for resisting their king. In that light, the whole thing starts to make sense. It was standard practice for an ancient king to seize land, estates, or resources from a rebellious noble and redistribute them to a more loyal servant. Bardia did seize the lands, slaves, estates, and livestock of the people, specifically the people that opposed him. In all likelihood, those people were nobles like Darius, Odonis, and the other five conspirators who overthrew Bardia. For whatever reason, they objected to the new king, and they suffered the normal consequences for that. The difference between them and the other nobles throughout the history is that these ones got payback. What's harder to dissect is the line that reads, In accordance with what had been previously, I made the cult centers, which Gomada the Magus had destroyed. Proponents of believing Darius that Bardia was actually Gomada the Magian priest try to use this to argue that Gomada and Prexaspes instituted some kind of theocracy. That theory looks like Swiss cheese when you think about it too much. There's no evidence of any significant proselytizing or the destruction of any actual cult sites, and there's very little evidence for much religious doctrine at the state level. If theocratic governance had ever been considered by the Persians, there would have to be a lot more evidence for something like this. It's also doubtful that there were ever enough magi to effectively rule the empire. And finally, Darius makes no suggestion of anything of the sort. In fact, Darius praises the god of the magi, Ahura Mazda, right there in the Behistun inscription, and the Magi remained priests in a Caymanid service for generations. It doesn't seem like Darius opposed his predecessor's religious policies. What is possible is that Bardia desecrated or destroyed noble families' personal shrines when he confiscated their property. These would have been places of private worship, places 
dedicated to some minor divinity or to venerating a famed ancestor. Those practices were common among many of Persia's neighbors and other Indo-European peoples, and so that option seems pretty likely. In this scenario, the destruction of cult sites is actually just another component of putting down dissenters and rebels. Unfortunately for King Bardia, he was unsuccessful in putting down his enemies for good. As I discussed last time in episode 19, seven disgruntled nobles, possibly aided by some of the women in the palace, snuck into a royal fortress in Media in late September 522. They killed the guards and snuck into the royal bedchamber, where they found the king. Whether he was Bardia or Gomada, ultimately it did not matter. The conspirators murdered the man known to Persia as King Bardia and proclaimed Darius to be the new king, while Bardia was forever remembered as the dead prince and the imposter. Bardia had held power for just over seven months, and had formerly been the Kashayathia Kashayathia Nam for less than three. In his time on the throne, he managed to salvage the empire, bringing it back from the brink of rebellion and civil war. He evidently had widespread rule, but also a few powerful enemies. Perhaps he was aided or guided by a Magian advisor called Gomada, but perhaps Gomada and the king were one and the same, and Cambyses really was the murderous madman history made him out to be. Regardless, the steps to preserve the kingdom in 522 were taken by somebody, even if that person is obscured by Darius's propaganda at Behistun. But the story of the Behistun inscription doesn't end there. After Bardia was dead and Darius was on the throne, it became clear that the tensions Bardia had suppressed were only ever just under the surface. Beginning almost immediately after Darius called himself king, the empire exploded into the chaos of revolt and civil war. Darius had to rally his army quickly and contend with the so-called liar kings, revolting from his reign everywhere from Parthia to Anatolia. However, the liar kings are going to have to wait. All this talk about magi has religion on the brain, so the next episode in two weeks is going to be all about religious belief. I'm going to try and explain what exactly it was that the Magi believed, and what religion the new royal family from Darius brought into the fold. Between now and then, some of my Patreon supporters will get a bonus episode on the Bronze Age Collapse, and everyone who has supported me on Patreon will get the first newsletter in their email sometime soon. Once again, massive thanks to everybody who supported me in the Patreon launch, your cuneiform stickers that read the antiquity of Persia in old Persian cuneiform will be in the mail just as soon as I get a chance to go to the post office. If you want in on some of those benefits, you can come support the podcast at patreon.com slash historyofpersia. And if that's not enough Persian history for you, come check out the website historyofpersiapodcast.com where I have more information, my bibliography, the Achaemenid family tree, some maps, and other features to help along with the podcast. If you want to contact me, you can do that anywhere you want. I'm on social media as the History of Persia Podcast on Facebook, at History of Persia Podcast on Instagram, at History of Persia on Twitter, or you can just use the contact page on the website or 
email me at historyofpersiapodcast at gmail.com. I do my absolute best to get back to everybody on every platform. If you want to support the show, but you don't want to do that through Patreon or you want to keep supporting the show, please, I always say, spread the word on social media, share it with your friends, family, and person. Whatever you do, I really appreciate anything that you can do to help people find out about the show. If you're enjoying things and you're excited for what comes next, please leave a review on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast app happens to be. And until next time, thank you all so much, everybody, for listening to The History of Persia. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.